I'm Rabbi Avi Killip here with Rabbi Elazar Simon on Sacred Ground. Two things are different this week, very different for us. One is that Rabbi Avital could not join us for this week's conversation, so she will be sorely missed. And the other big thing that's different is that I'm actually sitting right here next to you in Jerusalem. On actual sacred, sacred on ground. actual sacred ground. Welcome. It's really, really great to have you here. The truth is, I'm I'm curious how it is for you being here. It's not every day someone travels to a war zone. <laughs> um, how is it different, maybe, than other times you've come to visit? Yeah. So first of all, I've been here maybe a total of seven hours so far. So I feel. A little bit tired and a little bit like I'm still going to figure out the answer to that question. But my my strongest instinct that I would share actually is it feels really good. Actually, it feels really nourishing to be here. There's a way in which I feel like I've been throwing my heart <laughs> to this country, to this city, to this Beit Midrash, uh, we're actually sitting in Hadar's Beit Midrash on Emek Rafaim, and I feel a little bit like I'm able to reconnect with that piece of me that has been here for months. So in that way, it feels really nice, and it's just really nice to be able to actually see you <laughs> and to see everyone here. So that actually is my primary feeling right now. I I think I was anticipating more of a feeling of fear and that hasn't so far in my first seven hours been a primary experience. Um, I would say if there's something else layered over that I, I definitely feel is a sadness that you can tell. I was actually here pretty recently. I was here in June and everything is so familiar. I was just here and also so different. And I, I think I can sort of feel that layer of sadness also. Well, can I ask you more about anticipating this feeling of fear? Like, what were you imagining when, what surprised you exactly? Yeah, I, I think actually even just in saying that I'm going to Israel, so much of the follow-up questions is, are you scared? You know, I took a, a lift, a taxi to the airport, and even the lift driver in New York was saying, oh, aren't you, aren't you scared? You're going to Israel? He sort of was like, your work is sending you to Israel? Are they allowed to do that? So I, so I do think it's something that like comes externally. Um, and also, yeah, the way that you described what does it look like to fly into a war zone? Um, one of the things that I thought about so much during COVID was that it was a disaster you couldn't fly out of. There was no part of the globe that you were like, I'll go there to get away from it. Um, and so it feels very strange now to be flying towards sort of the epicenter <laughs> to be flying into where in theory the danger is. And and somebody else actually said to me, people who have come, that when you land, you feel better, like you feel less scared when you land, which I was not assuming was a given. Um, and we'll see how the week plays out. But I think that is also an interesting question. There's a way in which when you are in a place, I think you figure out how to feel safe there. I think about it sometimes in New York, people say, isn't New York unsafe? It's like, oh, well, because I live there, it's safe. Um, I feel, I find a way to feel safe there, taking the subway in New York every day in a way that walking down Emek Rafaim is actually in some ways safer, perhaps, than walking down my street in the Bronx. 
it's interesting. I've been trying to reflect um, as to whether um, I feel safe in my life right now in Israel. Am I afraid? And obviously, I, I think there were um, there were many stages in that. In the beginning, there was more fear than I ever would have imagined we had in Israel. I mean, obviously, for the people that were affected in the in the in the seventh of October attacks. So for them, it's. I mean, I can't even start to describe it, but I think for all of us, even here, something about the fact that the army and the government did not show up to save these people it changes the whole picture because i think in israel we're very I, I, I kind of as you said we're used to living in a, in a reality where there are all sorts of like hard events i grew up here in the in the intifada but the one thing that always did happen is that no matter what happened however horrific whatever explosion whatever happened within like 20 seconds dozens and dozens of siren and uniform people that come and take care of the situation And obviously you can still be scared that fate will have it that you are the one that is there attacked in these few seconds. But there's always help coming. That's like the one thing that you could always be sure of is that there will always be help coming immediately. And hearing these descriptions of people waiting hours and hours and calling the police and calling the army and asking everyone and, and people are being told, we can't help you try and hide or something like that. Yeah. That, is, that is something that is just on a completely, completely different scale. And I think it caused a lot of people to lose their feeling of safety all around the country. Do you feel like that has shifted between October and now in February? I think it's hard to say it, but time always heals things. I think that in Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv now, if you walk around like you said people do not walk around with a with a feeling of fear it took some time i remember rav avital maybe even she said it in one of the podcasts saying that she suddenly felt afraid to walk alone at night after like ha have not not feeling that way for like yeah. 20 years or something like that so it happened but i myself do not feel that way anymore I do feel that I've kind of maybe matured from this conception that the authorities will all always be there for me to protect me. It's a dangerous thought. A lot of people are, feel, are, are feeling that and, you know, people are, um, this, maybe it's a good idea to widely discuss it. People, everyone's getting armed. I also applied for, for getting, um, wow. um, uh, a weapon in the beginning of this thing and then I, then I dropped it. Maybe, maybe that's a good description of how I, felt fear in the beginning so and and suddenly um and 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 it calmed down i think everyone is um still has these scenarios that you plan where you're gonna go and what do you do in these situations um and they're somewhere there in the in the in the back of the head yeah i think i'll admit i felt myself doing that a little bit on the walk here from my hotel playing that game of like, if there was a siren right now, where does one go? If that car came at me, what would one do? I was here for a semester in 2006. And at that time, like every cafe had someone with a weapon stationed at the front. And, you know, you paid a little tax, extra shekels for security on all of your checks. Um, and that's not what Jerusalem feels like now. 
And I'm, I feel struck at the difference, actually, in particular, actually, since October 7th, I live in, in Riverdale, I live right across from a shul, and there is a cop parked outside of that shul all night long, like my windows of my apartment have blue flashing lights all night long, because there is a cop parked permanently changing shifts in front of the synagogue that's right across the street from me in Riverdale. And that isn't what it looks like here. There aren't people stationed with weapons in front of every store and or shul and or yeshiva here. Um, it feels very different. That There's some, some dissonance to that, that when I'm leaving a place that has a permanent cop in front of it and coming to this place um, where it feels like I can, you know, the doors are much more open and I can walk in much more easily. Um, you know, our yeshiva in New York has a locked door. But this one, you know, you could sort of just knock and, and be answered. That feels at odds with everybody asking me, but aren't you scared? It makes me think that safety, there's so many la layers to safety, both maybe actually being safe and also feeling safe. The first thing I want to say is that despite everything, I feel like it's a huge blessing that we can live here in Jerusalem and not walk around with this immediate feeling that our life is threatened and, 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 and about to, to, to collapse. Is it weird that it makes me happy? It makes you happy to hear what? It makes me happy that despite of all the troubles we're going through, this is still a place where Jewish people can walk around and feel safe, maybe safer even, even than in New York. Yeah. Um, Which, just to be clear, I'm not particularly worried about anti-Semitism for myself in New York. I do think that's why the cop is stationed outside the shul. Um, just more generally in New York, like I wouldn't walk around at night. Yeah, I mean that. I'm 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 also happy that I I mean I live in an environment that 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 in general um, is safe. But you're you're absolutely right that there's something extremely confusing about about this gap between how we're living our day-to-day -day lives and the feeling we're walking around with and what we hear on the news, the number of rockets that are aimed towards us, the number of times I've had to run with my three-year-old son into a safe place in the last month. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to break down what created, what, what creates this, this, this gap. What comes to my mind is that so we're talking about the English words um, safety or fear. In Hebrew, many of the words around this are they're all concentrated into one word, which is bitachon, right? So bitachon is also security or and safety, or maybe betichut, but security, safety. It's also faith, bitachon be'ashem. It's also confidence, bitachon atzmi. Right, all these we have in English. It's all these different words, and in Hebrew, it's it, it's all just like one thing, right? And because when we ask, "Do I feel?" If I try to think, "Do I feel safe in my life?" So it that is affected also by the object objective things around me that we read on the news, but also yeah, my 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 trust in Hashem, my trust in the universe that what needs to happen happen, and and uh, my the trust in my country that's going to defend me. And then I described that shattering. Right. Um, but, but somehow there's still enough there to not let this bitachon completely collapse. But again, this is all just me being here in Jerusalem feeling lucky when we have hundreds of thousands of people outside their homes that are feeling 
exactly and the lack of, of all of the things I just described. Yeah, it makes me think actually a better English translation is security, which is used for, you know, the people you hire to keep you safe is your security. But also, do you feel secure or do you feel insecure? And how many people right now are feeling are missing that feeling of security? It was interesting the comment that you made about belief in the army also believe you know belief is god there to protect me but also is tzahal there to protect me um and it was like october 7th was a breach of both of those maybe but that doesn't mean you can't get back to the place of feeling that you do trust those two entities to be looking out for you but maybe differently than you trusted them before yeah i think that's right i think it's um maybe less innocently but it's a feeling of safety that has somewhat recovered. And again, I'm very, I think I'm very lucky to be in a place where, where I could recover because so many other people don't have that stability. I will mention maybe, if we're already on this, a different sense in which I'm not safe and I feel that my life is holding on a thread, that I have so many loved people that are out there in the army that means that any second you could get a message that does tear, tear your, your life apart. There's a famous Israeli song that we hear a lot on the radio now uh, that it says, I'm afraid of only two words. One of them is a name, a name of someone that I know, and the other is was killed. And that, that's, that's a different sense in which we're not experiencing any sort of safety or security. Yeah, it's security of other people and of loved ones. It makes me think the comment that you made about running with your child, that I feel very acutely aware of the fact that I didn't bring my children with me on this trip. Um, and there's a way in which I feel like, oh, my heart is safe because my heart is back in America, like how different it feels to be here, you know, for you to be running with a child to find a shelter as opposed to running by yourself. Yeah. I'm curious if you, if, if your children have expressed say, you know, whether they feel safe or if you've discussed it with them at all. I know uh, one of them is eight weeks old, so probably not that child. But My son is talking a lot about, the question whether he is safe and protected. In the beginning of the war, when I thought I was going also to be drafted to the army, so he he constantly was talking to me about that. If I'll go, I'm going to go in order to keep him safe. That's that's what we told him, and that's what he and he's still talking about it. He's still asking, "Will you? Are you going to go to the army?" Um, but it's also also interesting. He feels that it's maybe his responsibility to do that as well. I just got a picture a few hours ago, actually, from his kindergarten teacher. And it's a picture of him like flexing his face and his muscles. He, she told me, he told her, Yeshli koach shmira. I have a force of protection. So he is busy with that and thinking about it. Yeah, shmira. Also, it has that valence of it's something you do for, to protect others as opposed to your own personal protection. What do you imagine your son is thinking in that photo? I think that on a basic level, it's just a thing that children do when they realize they can flex a muscle. So they suddenly realize that they have strength. 
So maybe in normal days he would just say, oh, look how strong I am right now because what he hears from us is that there's a war and there are people protecting us. And, and because of his experiences of whatever, running to the shelters or, or hearing uh, older children around him talk about the prisoners and the, the captives. So it just translates to him as, oh, uh, he's already made another jump. Oh, I'm strong. I have force and I can use it to protect also because that's what everyone around me is talking about trying to protect. And it's both beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. <laughs> On the flight today, last night, I, I in saying Tfilat Haderach, the Traveler's Prayer, um, it had a totally different feel for me than it has had in the past in terms of intensity, in terms of sort of the, the Tfilah has a list of different things you might be afraid of. And I started to think about different things that I am afraid of on this trip than than I have been previously, um, but also just found myself having sort of a more primal calling out to Hashem to say, like, you're going to protect me, right? You're going to take care of me, right? Whereas Tfilat HaDerech can be somewhat more pro forma. Okay, this is a thing that I say, obviously, if I'm taking an 11-hour flight. Um, it felt very much like something I need, actually, I need that safety. I need that layer of protection. Again, you know, do I exactly believe that Hashem is protecting me and what that looks like? But it helped. It helps me. I don't know. I'm curious how this question of safety and security intersects with your tefillah, with your prayer life. I've been thinking a lot about Tehillim Kaf Gimel, Psalms 23. מזמור לדוד, אדוני רואי לו אכסר, בינות דשא ירביצני על מי מנוחות ינעלני, נפשי ישובב ינחני במעגלי צדק למען שמו, גם כי אלך בגי צלמוות לא ירע כי אתה עמדי, שבטך ומשנתך המה ינחמוני. תערוך לפני שולחן נגד צורריי, דישנת ושמן ראשי כוסי רוויה, אך טוב החסד ירדפוני כל ימי חיי, ושבתי בבית אדוני לאורך ימים. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to water and places of repose. He renews my life. He guides me in right paths, as befits his name. Though I walk through an alley of deepest darkness, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table for me in full view of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My drink is abundant. Only goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me all the days of my life. It's a song about feeling safe and feeling protected um, with Hashem. And I remember in, in the first weeks um, when we were saying it, some people say it during um, the davening on Friday night. At first, I thought that it was very weird to say it in a time like this. Right. I, f I fear no harm seems like a foolhardy thing almost to say. But then w when I looked... In the words of, 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 of this, it seems that David Amelech here is speaking from a place of insecurity as well, meaning he is walking, Gam ki and it seems like he's actually saying this while he is walking in this, um, in, 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 in this difficult time. And then you start asking, well, if, if that's how David Amelech wrote the song. It's such an astute observation, and it 
it makes me smile and laugh at the two of us that it's like we're sitting here having a conversation about the fact that we feel safe, which we would never be having if we didn't know we really weren't safe, right? It's like it's only in the context of there's a war going on, I flew into a war zone, that it even makes sense for us to say, I fear no harm. It's, it's only when you actually are afraid that you need to assert this feeling of safety. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think the interesting thing is that there are still many, many other psalms that describe difficult moments and do not have this sense of security. You have places where um, it's all about Ura Hashem Lamatishan, asking God, why, why are you sleeping? Why aren't you taking care, care of us? Mm -hmm. So you can definitely still, so you still have these parts of kind of expressing the maybe your your sincere feeling that you are alone right now but i think the way i try to take it is that this is this is how i want to be i'm saying this as a prayer to how i want to feel and then i have two prayers one prayer is for the reality to actually be better for hashem to actually protect me for there to be actual peace and the other prayer is a is a is a prayer that I think about when when I'm reading this psalm is um I am asking Hashem to help me feel this way again about him, about my life, to help me feel protected and secure, and that even inside the situation of though I walk through the alley of deep darkness, even there I will still feel. Ki ata imadi. The midrashic literature around this psalm, this is all the direction that they're going. They're going to, even though it's a very difficult time, the nechama, the um, the comfort in this dark and 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 difficult time is that ki ata imadi, because you are with me, and it's just it resonates with kind of what we described before about the the question of. Am I actually safe? And the question of am I feeling safe? And and I've come to an understanding that both both are like very very important, and that even if we cannot reach the actual safety right now, being able to achieve some sort of feeling of safety is is an important thing at this time, both in order to survive and to be resilient and to do what we need to do. Yeah, Rava Avital is not with us, but I'll quote her. Um, I've heard her say recently, we have so much spiritual repair to do also. Like we have real crisis and we have spiritual crisis also happening. Um, I, I feel like that speaks to the two different elements you're saying. One is we need actual safety. Maybe as we spoke about last week, Torah alone and Tefillah alone are ill-equipped. But for this second crisis, uh, spiritual crisis, a feeling of safety, potentially Torah and Tefillah really can help us. It makes me think of um, the phrase from our Tefillah, Ufros Aleinu Sukkat Shlomecha, which is like spread over us a sukkah, a sukkah of peace, of shalom. I can't remember exactly where I learned it, but there's a commentary that calls out like why a, a sukkah is a very unstable thing to protect you. <laughs> there are no real walls. It's totally um, penetrable. There is an element of having a sukkah of shalom over you that is actually about feeling spiritually safe, 
even when you are actually physically vulnerable the way you are outside in your sukkah, um, you're not actually safe. You're not inside, you're outside, but you can feel inside. Yeah, that's beautiful. It makes me think again that, right, the reason that you feel safe is because you have you have someone with you, right? You have you have a shem with you even though you're out there and maybe in our situation you have you have other people around you you have friends you have family you have people that protect you and you protect them and there's something about that intimacy inside the sukkah the, the this connection that helps this reminds me of a beautiful teaching about our parsha parshat mishpatim from the imre emet he was a rebbe of gur the son of the sfatemet the Imre Emet offers a commentary for the whole chapter that we quoted. He, he talks about um, this transition between receiving the Torah and this huge spiritual thing that happened on Mount Sinai and, and then landing to these very practical and legal parsha that's defining rules and responsibilities and and different um social contracts and 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 understandings and he asked like what is all that about and he quotes a gemara there's a gemara that in shabbat 31 that says that um the whole of seder nezikin and the the tractates that talk about um uh, damages ab- about damages is about yeshuot about um, uh, redemption or uh, being saved. And that's a weird saying. And Rashi Rashi explains, oh yeah, it saves you because it helps you to like stay okay, to stay that you won't have to like pay somebody else. Like just listen to the rules and you're you're gonna be fine. But the, the, the Imre Emet says, the deep understanding in our Parsha is that we cannot survive this life alone. We can't face the dangers and the difficulties of, of life by ourselves. And we need help. We need to be with someone that can help us understand the logic of this world and, and how to live it. And that saves us when we have someone, someone like that that's just giving us instructions how to live. And then he says, this is the meaning of, meaning of the psalm, Lo um, you shall not fear because you are with me. I think that's perfect, beautiful Torah for understanding what I'm doing here right now. <laughs> I feel like there is a phenomenon now of Americans coming to Israel on short trips that are like solidarity missions, which is not a very poetic or spiritual frame of what it means to show up, um, but that what those missions are actually about, what these trips are actually about is trying to say, you are safer if you are with us, if we are with you, we're going to come and just be with you. And I, and I think also that's part of my answer when people asked me, well, aren't you afraid to go to Jerusalem that I had in my mind, like, well, but all of the people in the Hadar Beit Midrash are there and they live there. So like that makes me feel safer, even though that's not really a very good technical answer because as we established previously, you do not have a weapon. <laughs> Somehow when we are with each other, we feel less afraid. I think I can say about myself that just even recording this podcast with you today and in general has helped me feel safer in this time in the sense that I'm... Um, I'm not just 
in this situation and stuck in it alone. I'm here with all of you and all the people listening. I'll share just one last story about what it means to be uh, searching for a way to feel safety when you're when you're not safe. And um, one of my colleagues in in Hadar, uh, Yair Yair Ashereznik, he has spent the last uh, two months in a tank inside of uh, of the Gaza Strip, and he's an artist. He he studies art in Bezalel Academy, and he filled his tank with different verses and different uh, pictures and drawings of prayers and verses. On the top of his tank, he wrote, Rishit Chochma Irat Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is, is uh, fearing, fearing of God. On the canon, he wrote, Hatotach HaKadosh, the holy canon. And it's, it's just full of different stuff. But you can, and, and the way he wrote about it, he explained that this is uh, having this kingdom inside his tank that he looks and he sees, he sees verses of prayer and verses of, of Torah is what helped him feel safe in his little kingdom, uh, despite the great danger that he was in. We often bring poetry as an art form into this podcast, but also the sort of visual art of bringing together Torah and art, and also the horrible reality of needing to wear a helmet and sit in a tank um, and have a cannon, which are all things we would rather do without, and that in his regular life, he gets to just be an art student and work at a yeshiva and trying to figure out how to integrate all of that into having to sit inside of a tank. You know, it's it's moving to just see the way that he is bringing them together and trying to attempt to, to see how he can sort of show up in the tank without leaving those other parts of himself behind. And I hope that it continues to bring feelings of safety and also actual safety it's it's a good another good way for us to remember we need both actually sometimes we need tanks and also we need tehillim and verses of torah and hashem to both be safe and feel safe um elazar it's such a pleasure to be here with you Likewise, and great to have you here in person. Um, and we will speak again next Monday from across the ocean, but I think it will definitely feel different for me having been here. Thanks for having me. The music is Jericho at Dusk by Alone Parrots. Thank you to Sam Greenberg, Jeremy Tabak, and Effie Unterman for producing this podcast, and to David Chabinski for recording and editing this episode. 